everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's, that's right. That's right. Well, that's it. No more wishing everybody holidays, greetings. Yeah, we're done with the holiday season for for a bit. I feel like every episode I was saying, like, happy whatever. Happy holiday. <laughs> happy happy holiday. New Year. But anyway. So, Zach. Yes, Tell Seth. me, what have you been playing recently? Well, Seth, not too long ago, I think actually in the last episode, I was playing RC Pro-Am for the original Nintendo. And recently, I've been playing RC Pro-Am 2 for oh. the original Nintendo. Wow. Yeah. Well, the game was developed by Rare and published by Trade West for the NES. It was released in 1992, so that was pretty late in the lifespan of the NES. And uh, it's actually a pretty uncommon game. So I was playing it on my Amber Nick, which is good for playing games that I can't afford. RC Pro-Am 2 plays a lot like RC Pro-Am, but in my opinion, a little better. Uh, better in the sense that not only does it have four players, which allows you to do four-player multiplayer against your friends, uh, which is pretty unique for an NES game, but also it has a few quality of life updates. For one thing, the game plays a little faster than I noticed RC Pro-Am was playing, and also there's some updated mechanics in terms of the ability to customize your upgrades a bit more so that you can kind of upgrade your car to the way you want to upgrade it. Where in RC Pro-Am and Championship Pro-Am, the one for the Sega that we had, you get your upgrades really by like driving into them as you're on the track. Like you'll see like, I don't know, a tire. And if you run over yeah. the tire, your car won't spin out, but you'll get an upgrade to your tires. In this one, depending on how well you're doing, you'll earn money and you can use that money to buy upgraded tires. And there's different types of upgraded tires, different types of weapons, different types of, um, you know, chassis and stuff and other things that you can use to upgrade your car. Um, so there's kind of a bit more variety and if you're playing with four players which i was not because i don't have four friends you would be able to essentially customize four different cars and kind of go toe-to-toe -to -toe against what your friend's build might be versus what your build might be and that could provide an interesting experience for people i do like the game a lot and i would recommend it if you are interested in racing games for the nes especially if you like racing games that you don't have to take as seriously as like other racing games because rc prime is kind of goofy it's almost like a cart game yeah it's like an early cart game like yeah. a cart racer yeah i would say so but yeah it's a very straightforward game i recommend trying it out again if the cartridge is a little pricey so you might want to stick to other ways to play it if you can and to remind our listeners that the rc part of this is for the remote control because you play as very small cars that are yes. remote controlled. They have little yes. like antennas coming off of them. These ones also still kind of look like trucks, like an RC Pro yeah. Am one, but the cover also shows trucks. So it's not like the cover for RC Pro Am one, which shows like like F1 racers and you're driving trucks. I think it's just an RC Pro Am one. I remember you can upgrade your truck to a car. I'm just thinking back to the cover and like matching it back to the game i feel like you can get to that car eventually i think it's like stage six everyone just starts in a, in a truck in a pickup as you always start in a pickup when we're when we're born we start with pickups that's what uh that's what you're given when you walk out of the hospital they just give you a pickup no you don't walk out of the hospital you roll out of the hospital no, in I your walk. pickup <laughs> well i roll down the <laughs> stairs <laughs> yeah that's true but uh in but not in your pickup uh that was the best day of my life <laughs> 
<laughs> for context, for anyone listening at home, when I was but a lad, when I was but an infant, <laughs> apparently Seth was sitting downstairs watching TV, and he turned around and saw little Zachary rolling down the stairs. <laughs> Just to make sure everyone is aware, we lived in a colonial that had wooden <laughs> stairs that also took a sharp bend at the bottom. So you rolled down like 10 stairs into a corner and then continued to go into like four more <laughs> stairs. <laughs> And our, our walls were uh, nice, nice plaster, yeah. <laughs> nice, heavy plaster hey, walls. You know what? I was young. I was, I was pliable. <laughs> so I rebounded. you lived. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of looked like Donk. You know that? Uh, the, bonk? Bonk. Yeah, Bonk. Donk. <laughs> <laughs> bonk, the, uh, the, the baby. Like for the Turbo Graphics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the SNES game. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Seth, what have you been recently playing? So recently I've not been playing uh, Donk or Bonk. Uh, I've been playing a game called Encased, which was developed by Dark Crystal Games and published by Prime Matter and released back, I was going to say last year, but I guess two years ago, back in 2021. It was the middle of 2021, so like a year and a half ago. It's a sci-fi RPG game that has tactical elements set in an alternative 1970s world where a large artifact is discovered in the desert, and that is the dome. And you essentially descend into the dome and explore it. It's an interesting setting because it is alien in nature, but yet so familiar because it's set on Earth. Now, the dome is managed by this company called Kronos, and Kronos has these different factions or, I guess, departments within their organization that are called wings, and each of these wings are broken out by colors to represent the wing, kind of like in Starfleet where, like, red's... Uh, command and blue science. The silver is management and they're kind of like the leaders. White is science. Blue is like logistics or engineers. Orange is the unskilled workforce. Then are generally former prisoners. And black is military. And I created a character named Alexei Stukov because I really like Alexei Stukov from StarCraft. <laughs> and so whenever I need to think of a name and I want to make them kind of like a heavy weapons kind of big beefy guy i usually go for alexi stukov as my my chosen character name so i created this guy alexi stukov and i met i put him in the black wing because i wanted him to be a big toting gun guy he is a kind of like um i would say mercenary he's a guy that just likes killing people uh somebody actually asked him why he joined in the beginning and he responded with that he likes murdering people he gets asked that a couple of times and he tells them everybody the same thing he tells people that his his passion is killing people and one person said that hopefully his passion doesn't become a hobby i chose to create alexi because one of the portraits in the game kind of looked like the heavy weapon specialist from team fortress 2 and i decided that alexi would be a good match and i wanted to play kind of like a character that was reminiscent of the heavy weapon specialist from team fortress 2 he's not that bright of a guy but what he lacks what he lacks in smarts he makes up for in bullets it's been a pretty fun uh crpg which 
has and it has a tactical turn-based style combat very similar to wasteland 2 3 uh except instead of having a post-apocalyptic vibe it's got a 1970s motif there's some like abandoned stuff to it but a lot of the stuff that's it's still like active and it's all 1970s tech which is which is great because that's a, that's a decade that you need to live in well that's fun uh it sounds like encased is a pretty good game uh would you recommend it so i've played six hours of it i'm gonna say two hours of that was me not playing it that sounds riveting i left it running and then got up for my computer now you have a bunch of steam trading cards yes and the inability to return it but it's it's actually what i actually really like about it is that there is a narrator and a lot of voice acted dialogue and because it's a crpg so it's an isometric view and your sprite is a smaller person there's not a lot of like detail in what the person that you're talking to or what you are doing visible right because you're smaller sprites so the narrator actually describes their action in the conversation and then the voice actor for the person picks up the conversation which i thought was a cool way of doing it and actually surprised me and the voice acting is actually pretty good so in regards to whether i recommend it it does have mixed reviews on steam i think it scratches an itch that i have and that i enjoy it i don't necessarily know if everybody would but yeah, I bought, I picked it up on Steam uh, Winter Sale for a pretty good price, six bucks. So I thought it was worth six dollars, and so far I've got about six dollars worth of enjoyment out of it. So nice. Well, for today's episode, we are going to talk about Mario again. We have covered Mario before. We've talked about Mario 64. We've talked about Paper Mario. We've talked about Mario Kart. But this time we're talking about something a little different. We've talked a lot about Mario. We have talked a lot about Mario. It's almost like he's a major player in the world of video games. It's almost like a few years ago he was considered more recognizable than Mickey Mouse. Do you know who also was at one point in time more recognizable than Mickey Mouse? Who? Joe Camel. But now it's Mario. Now it's Mario. <laughs> We're talking about Mario Party, which is a uh, series of party games, but we'll focus a bit on Mario Party 1, but we can, of course, allude to and talk about the other Mario Party games. There's plenty of them to go around, but starting off with our memories, I just want to say I have a ton of memories playing the original Mario Party games for the N64, primarily the third one, uh, which we got, I believe, from family friends. Some of my, some of our family friends also had a copy of the second one, which I remember very vividly because when you played the second one when you go to different boards in the game your characters would change costumes to represent those boards so if you go to like western world then you all are wearing western outfits that's the only one i really remember i think there are other worlds that you go to but i just really remember the western one because i thought it was funny to see mario dressed as a cowboy i ended up playing a lot of mario party 3 depressingly by myself uh, because there was this time where some of my friends really didn't want to play mario party or mario party 3 because there are better games out there <laughs> and i had mario party 3 and i was like i want to play this game i will play these mini games and uh i got very good at the mini games let me just say because i was playing them by myself one of my favorite mini games for mario party 3 was aces high uh which is a airplane shooter mini game where everyone plays as airplanes and you have to like shoot until the last person's alive but the airplanes are like they look like airplanes they just have mario characters heads like plastered on top of 
of them. So it's just these giant heads attached to airplane bodies that fly around. Terrifying. But those are my memories of Mario Party. Seth, what about you? Well, being uh, slightly older, I played Mario Party when it came out uh, at parties. (laughs) and we played some Mario parties. It was a great uh, multiplayer game that we enjoyed. Uh, We would play it when we no longer wanted to fight in either GoldenEye or Super Smash Brothers. Mario Party was a solid, nicer game, I guess. Not as fast-paced or causing people to yell at you for looking at somebody else's screen. But there is kind of an aggressive element to Mario Party, especially like toward the end game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Where like you can be in the lead and all of a sudden the person with zero stars gets five. (laughs) Yes. And I feel like it's gotten, I don't know, I feel like it was more predictable in the earlier Mario Parties. I I feel like this weird bell curve of Mario Parties. So Mario Party 1, 2, and 3 I played a lot of, but I feel like I did not play a lot of 4, 5, 6, 7, 8... What what are they on now? 10? No. Super Mario Party and Mario Party Superstars are 11 and 12. Super Mario Party came out on the Switch. Is that the only one on the Switch? No, there's two on the Switch. There's one that Which just one? came out this year. This, this year of 2023? There's no, last year. Here. Last year. I think I don't own that one i think i own the other one so now i like mario parties back for the joy that i enjoyed them the first time around and that's for casual times hanging out people it's nice that you can play remotely with people because during covid we weren't really seeing a lot of people and one of my wife's family moved to texas and we were able to have kind of like a virtual game night um because this family member used to come over all the time for board games so we were able to kind of continue to play board games the covid part matters because like um my wife's sister would also be playing and she would stay remote yeah Yeah, (laughs) it's it's not like we would have to play remote with the person who lived in texas regardless but right yeah yeah right but yeah so i think that there's a certain aspect where it's a lot of fun and especially the early mario parties are very nostalgic but you definitely have to i feel like have the right setting to play it it's I don't know. I've never been the kind of person to just be like, let's crack out the Mario party. Well, like, I feel I'm... like I feel like what happens is you're with your friends. This is what always happened to me when I played with my friends. And yes, to set the record straight, I did play Mario Party with people. I didn't just play it alone. Whenever my friends and I would play Mario Party, we would like plug it in, we'd turn it on, and we'd get to the setup screen. And then we'd be like, let's give ourselves a hundred turns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you don't want the game to end. Because we yeah. don't want it to end early. And we know we're going to have fun. And then, yeah. like, 30 turns in, we're like, well, too this much. was a mistake. The game never ends. It's like a game of Civilization where you're like, let's make this game super long. And then, like, 10 turns in, you're like, this was such a horrible mistake. It's because the game loop, arguably, is very long, which we'll get into how the game loop kind of works. But it, it you basically go through all four players. They each roll a dice. They each walk across the board somewhere. And they go one step at a time. And then you go into the mini games, and then it's wash repeat. So th- that's a pretty long game loop, depending on, you know, if you roll a six, you're walking six spaces. And then there's, like, things that get in the way, or someone might get a mini game or a chance game, stuff like that. Buy stuff at the stores. They might press pause by accident. <laughs> it's just anything can happen. Uh, but to go on with the Switch game, that thing where you were saying the person in the last became first that happened when we were playing and that person was me i somehow skeeved out a win with having the least amount of stars up until i think to the credits but then earned extra stars based on like my mini game performance yeah yeah 
but and I think they awarded me it was something along the lines of like coins, mini games, and the least number of stars. Mm-hmm. So I think I had two stars, and then there was somebody who had three stars and four stars. And I think I I was awarded the least number of a stars stars, which brought me to three stars. Then I had the most mini game or the most coins. So then I got four stars, and then I had the most mini games one barely, and I got fifth star and i ended up having five stars versus the next person with four stars and i won and people were not pleased that's not just like that's just like the game though it's so yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean you can steal stars you can steal coins and then that's you just what get, happened like, they stole yeah. all of my stuff yeah and then you just get like rewarded arbitrary crap at the end it's like uh it's like hogwarts you that's can do right. really badly all year but as long as you do good at one thing then you win the house cup no as long as you're in gryffindor as long as you're harry now getting into the history of Mario Party. The first Mario Party was released on the N64 in 1998. While the N64 was being developed, Nintendo wanted to include four controller ports for the option to have games that would bring more people together for a new type of multiplayer experience. Because Nintendo was kind of getting to this phase that they're still in, where they're like, let's innovate and make that the coolest thing that's about our system so with the n64 it was four controllers for the wii it's a motion control for the switch it's the fact that it's pretty much a portable console and you see them like experimenting in between so like the gamecube it's kind of like the n64 it's still got four ports it's just a little better it's a little portable yeah it's got the handle in the back and then like the wii u uses the screen but you have to like have it always connected sort of to a console so it's not quite portable so they wanted to have four controllers they wanted this to be something that you could do with a group of people to add to this new kind of experience. At the same time, a company called Hudson Soft would be made the developers for Mario Party, and they got started work on the project in 1996. For those who don't know, Hudson has been around since 1973. The company was originally an amateur radio shop, but in 1975, they began to sell personal computers. By 1978, they were developing and selling video games. Hudson quickly became a third-party developer for Nintendo in the 1980s. One of their first titles for the Famicom, Load Runner, went on to sell 1.2 million units after its release in 1984. So Nintendo knew they had a a moneymaker with Hudson. Hudson would also later release games like Bomberman, Adventure Island, and Clax, all classic games that people probably remember in some form or another. Hudson also uh, had a good working relationship with Nintendo. Not only were they developing these third-party titles, but also some of the earliest games that Hudson was putting out on the PC 8800 computers were ports of Nintendo games in the arcade and on the consoles. So Hudson put out the port of Donkey Kong 3, the arcade game, in for the personal computer in Japan. And they also made a completely original version of Super Mario Brothers called Super Mario Brothers Special for the computer in Japan, which is kind of something unheard of today, right? That would be like if Bethesda made a Mario game for PC. It's just not going to happen. But back then, Nintendo was kind of just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what stuck. In all fairness, Super Mario Brothers Special is a terrible game. Mario by Bethesda probably would also be a terrible game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Now, according to an interview between the late president of Nintendo, Satoru Iwata and the team involved in development of Mario Party, they had always wanted to make a party game 
that was Mario themed. However, they also wanted to develop a game that could be played by families during the holidays, and this really helped inform the design of the game. As one of the things that they needed to do was to make sure the game was simple. Because if you're playing a game with a family during the holidays, you're likely playing with somebody who is unfamiliar with video games. And so you need to keep things basic to make sure that everyone understands how the game works. Also, they wanted to keep the game familiar for people, so they would include things like dice and other items that you'd be familiar with. There's in fact a board in Mario Party. The game takes place on a board and there's dice and it just works. It looks like a board game, which is easy to say to somebody, want to play a board game on the TV? The development of the game began in 1996 and it eventually would be released in 1998. Now to explain Mario Party, it's important to understand exactly how the game is played. The original Mario Party. You and your friends have the choice of playing as Mario Luigi, Princess Peach, Donkey Kong, Yoshi, or Wario. As the N64 has four controllers, four players can play the game. And the game is hosted by Toad, who's like the mushroom creature. Yeah, he has an annoying voice. He does. Um, who guides the characters on the journey through the game and tells you about where they've positioned the star right behind you in the direction you can't go. To be clear, he tells you in a speech bubble because his voice is just like, Yahoo! Okay! Each level of the game acts as a board, as I mentioned earlier, and the players must navigate around this board and collect coins. After you collect a certain number of coins, you can turn it in for a star. The player who has the most stars wins the game at the end of the game. It wins the game at the end, which... As we discussed earlier, depending on the iteration of Mario Party, it may not mean that you win. You might just win temporarily. The game's end is typically determined by the number of rounds. And you have to select the number of rounds in the beginning, and you have to select a set number of rounds. At least in Mario Party 1, from what I remember, there was like buckets of rounds. Yeah. So you have to select like a short game, medium game, or a long game. It could be like 15, 30, or 45. You can just like give yourself an arbitrary number of rounds. Um, And a round would be the completion of however many turns were being played. And from my understanding... In Mario Party, there's always four players, regardless of how many players are playing. That's correct. Um, And what happens is the computer puts in NPCs that represent the other players. Yes, yeah. So the game always has four turns, and then those four turns end the round... And then it goes into a mini game for as many rounds as you selected in the beginning. So if you have 40 rounds, you have 40 mini games to go through, at least. I'm sure you oh, yeah, yeah, because there's like there's like mini games that prop up with chance games and stuff like that and other types. Now, at the end of each round, there is a, a like a randomizer that sorts everybody into teams. And you could be on a team with yourself. You could be with yourself versus everybody else's team by themselves. So like a free-for-all, you could be sorted 2v2, and the 2v2 could be different combinations of the different people. Uh, you can also have 3 versus one um, where there's one person that may be uh, a big monster and the other three people are trying to run away or do something. So it's it's cool in regards that the mini games have like a, like a, you have to sometimes work together and work against people and the people you work together is random which i feel like has some level of camaraderie that it kind of inserts back into the game and you're having camaraderie with different people 
different at different points in the game. And in the mini game, you do have the ability to win more coins to add to your coin total to help you buy more stars. Now, the first game featured eight different boards and 50 mini games. The mini games vary in different structure based on the teams, as Seth was kind of alluding to. So if the game is a four player mini game, each player is against each other. And it may be a race like in slot car derby, which is a, a race where you're playing on slot cars or a game of accuracy like facelift, which is where you must match a stretchable face to an image that you're provided to get the most accurate recreation of the image. I don't like that one. Yeah, that one's kind of obnoxious. A, a lot of these games are also like you have to push a button rapidly or turn your um, joystick a certain number of times. And you get the joystick rip. Oh, we'll talk about that. Oh, okay, good. We're going to talk about the joystick rip, the rip of your palm. Yes, yes. Uh, so yeah, you might be doing something rapidly. Uh, one example though would be balloon burst. Uh, you have to like press a button really quickly so that you inflate a balloon until you're the first person to pop it. Whoever pops it first wins. Now in the 1v3 minigames, the balance has shifted. Three players are working together to foil one player. So that one player typically has a task like, for example, in bowl over, they are a bowler. Now the other three players play as bowling pins and your job as the other three players is to make sure you don't get knocked over. So you kind of have to coordinate with the other players to kind of make sure that you can be the last three standing. Ideally, if one person is standing, everyone wins uh, besides the bowler but if everyone gets knocked over the bowler wins and he would get the full share of the coins in 2v2 mini games the players are sorted into teams of two and are tasked with completing a goal in the first mario party game these goals are primarily races one example is bobsled run and another example is hand car havoc hand car havoc is another one of those games where you are pressing a button rapidly for those who don't know in mario party typically you have to press a button rapidly and as we alluded to doing something rapidly doesn't always lead to good results physically. Lastly, there were one-player minigames. These occur differently than the other type of minigames. One-player minigames often occur when a player falls on a special tile, such as a chance tile. They are usually games of chance, so they're really not that interesting in my opinion. It's like spin the wheel, or something is hidden under one of these hats. Can you guess where it's hidden when the hats move very fast? They're just like games of chance that you would see on a TV show or a game show. Not that interesting, but they have the ability to award you with items, and items Items vary in the game. You could get an item that will steal a star, or an item that will teleport you to the star, or an item that will give you coins, like a coin bag or something like that. Also in the games of chance, you will be able to win extra coins. Coins are ideal. The more coins you have, the more likely you are to be able to afford a star. Mario Party was released to positive responses from critics. The main concern that people had was the gameplay itself was rather slow and that it had very little replayability in single player mode because the game's called Mario Party Critics. Mario Party. It's in the damn name. You can't be a party with one. Now, some critics were rough. Game Informer actually gave the game a 2.25 out of 10 because they were wrong. And IGN gave it a 7.9 out of 10 because arguably that's an alright score. The game did, however, sell fairly well, becoming the 17th best-selling game for the N64. It sold approximately 2.7 million copies in total. 1.23 million were sold in North America, 870,000 in Japan, and 580,000 
8,000 in the rest of the world. Interestingly enough, despite the game's overall simplicity, there are some differences between the Japanese, European, and US version of the game. The Japanese version had some dialogue that changed, with Wario and Luigi both saying, Oh my god! Oh my god! Whenever they lost. This was changed in the other versions of the game to remove the illusion of God. <laughs> Wario's is changed from a sound effect taken from Mario 64. So I missed! Which is German? And it means, oh shoot. The major difference in the European version was that there was a language select screen that was not there for the US version. The European version allowed you to play the game in English, German, or French. Now, one reason that the first Mario Party may have had some negative reviews was actually due to a pretty big controversy that we alluded to. A few of the minigames, and by a few, I mean most of them, required you to either press a button rapidly or rotate the N64's analog stick at top speed. Like the fishing one. Yes. To do this, players would often use their palms because it became uncomfortable to use your thumb. However, using your palms also quickly became uncomfortable because you would tear your palm and cause blisters. But if you wanted true fishing speed, you had to use the palm. Yes. And the correct way of doing it would be to grip the bottom of the N64 controller with your, like, I would I would use my left hand because my fishing hand would be my right hand. You would grip the N64 controller by the middle shaft and you would spin vigorously the center <laughs> of the... <laughs> <laughs> the center of the joystick, um, making sure you hit all the quadrants to register it as fast as humanly possible. And that's how you won fishing in Mario Party. Now, there was no official lawsuit that was ever made against Nintendo, but the New York Attorney General's office did receive over 90 complaints. Nintendo, hoping not to go to some major controversial lawsuit, agreed to settle, and as part of their settlement, they would provide gloves to those who were injured. So somewhere out there, there's a series of people who just have Nintendo gloves that they got because they hurt their palms playing Mario Party. Nintendo also paid the state of New York's legal fees, which amounted to about $75,000. So only, so only New York kids got gloves. Yeah, and probably like only they only received about 90 complaints, so I'm assuming there's only 90 gloves out there. Man, what if they were just like nitrile gloves? The controversy was such a stain on Nintendo's reputation that they actually did not re-release Mario Party for a while. It did not come out on the Wii's virtual console. It did not come out on the Wii U's virtual console. And it wasn't until November of 2022 when the game was re-released on Switch Online with a warning added to the beginning of the game warning you about the mini games that could cause damage to your palms. Well, if you spin your Switch controller that fast, you're, you're probably going to break it. Yeah. Can't you buy the N64 controller for the Switch? You can. That's probably why they have the, the warning. Right. Now, to say Mario Party left an impact would be an understatement. The game not only helped create a whole genre of similar games, but it would also lead to a long-running series. To date, there have been 10 numbered Mario Party games, with three being released on the N64 alone. The 11th and 12th installments of the series dropped the numbering and opted to be called Super Mario Party and Mario Party Superstars, respectively. Along with the main installments, there was also Mario Party Advance for the Game Boy Advance, Mario Party DS for the Nintendo DS, and then Island Tour, Star Rush, and a minigame collection called the Top 100, all for the Nintendo 3DS. The game has changed dramatically. I, they have to, right? They have to change the game yeah. as you go through. Um, as the recent Mario Party that I was playing, which may be Super Mario Party or maybe Mario Party Superstars, I 
have completely forgotten which one it was that I owned. You get a special dice for which character you pick. So like if you're Boo or you're Yoshi, you get your standard 1d6 dice. But you also get like Yoshi could get a dice that's got like more ones but has more sixes. Or there's like higher, you could just pick like where on the bell curve you want to be like do you want the chances of you getting really high numbers to be greater but also not have the chance to get like medium numbers and either go very far or very short and then you can also get dice and eventually you also get companions in the game that i have yeah yeah so then you have like you get like 17 dice you're just like rolling because you have like you have like your own die that you're rolling you get get extra and then each companion you pick up i think to the maximum of four or five they all get dice so then you're rolling like six dice there and you're going like 30 spaces through yeah i know when um, one of the games for the Wii, I think, also had a weird way of like doing the board where everyone was basically on a car and they would all move the same number of spaces. So they do try to innovate the games every now and then to have uh, different techniques and different stuff. But you can see where the game did, did inspire kind of other party games of this nature. There were board games released on video game consoles prior to Mario Party. Seth and I owned Monopoly and Clue, both for the Sega Genesis. Arguably, these are very boring compared to Mario Party. I like in the Sega Monopoly game, you can force the computers to essentially lose. Oh, yeah. By, um, you have to get a set that they need. They get maybe like one of like one of the whatever orange or yellow cards or green cards. Then you sell them the land. And you can even sell them the land up to get them a set because ultimately for them to collect, for ultimately in the Genesis version in order for them to want their desire to complete a set is very very high and so they'll pay a lot of money so you can get them to be like oh i'll let you complete an entire green set and they'll go yeah and they'll give you all of your money you could just sell it to them for all of their money and then the second they have to land on something else they have to mortgage everything and then you just then go back through and they like you just run them out they go bankrupt and then you just go buy all the properties back up again (laughs) at like a bargain of a price it's a very very scummy tactic that you can do in the the sega genesis version those games did have bonkers good sound tracks they did they did all right so that is mario party and if anyone has memories of mario party be sure to let us know and you can do that when we tell you how to do that later in this episode because right now we're going to get into the retro rewind wow starting us off i'm gonna go first talking about today is retro rewind seth had me play tintin le tempo du soleil which is french for tintin and the temple of the sun which is uh the french name for tintin and the prisoners of the sun uh which is the comic tintin le Temple du Soleil is a uh, video game that adapts the comics of the Seven Crystal Balls and Prisoners of the Sun. These stories are a two-parter in the canon of Hergé's Tintin. The game follows the plot of these comics fairly closely, actually, with the adventure beginning with the Seven Crystal Balls, where you have various people falling ill and falling into a mysterious coma. Uh, All these people were connected to a trip to an Inca ruins, and there's like an Inca mummy, and there's this giant ball lightning that appears, and an Inca mummy disappears and there's a whole big mystery involved anyway the game itself is a platformer but it has a lot of really annoying elements for one thing in the opening you have to run from one end of the hallway to another now this doesn't sound that annoying here's where the annoying part happens everything 
is a hazard. And by everything, I mean random scientists, a dude in a funny hat, a lady and her child holding hands, bookshelves. Everything is a hazard. Not everything harms you, but the random scientist and the dude in the funny hat do harm you for some reason, and I don't know quite why. Do I think Tintin Le Tempo du Soleil holds up? No, I don't think it holds up. I think if you do want to get involved in Tintin, stick to the very dated comic books that arguably have some dated references from because they were written in the 30s. But in any case, Seth, next week, I want you to keep to the theme of European comics because next week, I want you to play Asterix in The Great Rescue for the Sega Genesis. Fun. Uh... I don't know if you mentioned it. Your game was never released in the U.S. They, well, I think both of them, um, both the Tintin La Temple de Soleil and the game that Zachary had me play, Tintin A Tibet, have the ability to play in multiple languages. I think I had six different languages that I could choose from. But the flag that you need to pick for English is the British flag because both of the games were released on Mega Drive and not on the Sega Genesis. However, the game you're playing next week, Asterix and the Great Rescue, was released on the Sega Genesis because we had a copy. <laughs> yes, I feel like Asterix and Obelisk was more popular than Tintin in the U.S. market. I knew zero children my age who knew <laughs> Asterix and Obelisk. <laughs> <laughs> I just meant, like, popular when it comes to, like, sales. Maybe. I don't know. I think, to be honest, I think Sega just was like, this looks fun. That, as I mentioned, Zach had me play Tintin Autobet. I made a joke with Zach before we started recording where um, Tintin either has their, the comic titles are either things like Tintin and the Seven Crystal Balls or Tintin and the Prisoners of the Sun or it's like Tintin in Tibet, Tintin in America. It's either he gets these like, there's Tintin in the Blue Lotus. Ooh, that's like a mystery. What's it about? And then the, the, the next couple of comics are like Tintin in America. Anyway, Zach and I obviously are fans of Tintin. The Tintin Autobet was developed for the Mega Drive back in 1995 and was developed by Infograms Multimedia. It is a platforming adventure game where you play through the adventures of the comic Tintin in Tibet. Uh, you start off with the train being broken down and you have to navigate the level. Actually, has a really cool 3D effect. I don't know if it was in your Tintin game, but you could run forwards in the screen and you can also run backwards and you can like interact with the level. So you can either go up the stairs or you can like come forward towards the screen and like stand up closer to the screen you have to use this ability to avoid children carrying boxes in the first level and there's also like people tossing crates out of the train that roll it's kind of annoying because you're trying to fix this train that is clearly stopped at a broken track and the people who are riding the train who would benefit you from fixing it are like trying to kill you you're able to talk to somebody in it which is kind of cool the game does require some precise movements to be able to get down to the river portion of the level which i'm not really capable of doing so I didn't get really far in Tintin. I was very, very mad that there's a part where I got very close to the next section where you go into the river and I fell just earlier before the section where you actually have to fall into it and it just kills you. But if you get just a little bit farther, you can go into the river and proceed on to the next section. You have like a scroll and you can essentially get hit like five times and then you die. And when you die you restart the level, which is annoying. I'm going to have to play the game a little bit more to get used to the controls. It's actually something I may actually do because I really like the music and the gameplay is enjoyable. Like the sprites look good. The artwork looks fine. Like it's... It, 
it looks like a good game. If it's the movements are fine, they're not like loosey goosey movements. I think the game holds up today, but I think you really have to enjoy Tintin and you have to really enjoy precise platforming. If you like platforming Tintins, then you'll probably like this game. If you're like, what the hell have they been going on about Tintin? Who is this person? Then you could probably just pass on by for our next episode zach you can play pulse man for the sega genesis i will now as i alluded to earlier if you want to tell us all about the fun time you had with mario party as a child you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or you can reach out to us via our website classicgamingbrothers.com we are available on facebook instagram twitch and twitter facebook instagram and twitch are classic gaming brothers twitter is cg brothers pod if you want to listen to us we're available on all the major podcasting applications out there so be sure to give us a follow like rating review whatever do whatever you can five stars that's what we say give us five stars that's all i have to say seth do you have anything to add don't play games like my brother don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i have been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right right